this is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about films. My name is Dakota Arsenal, and today I'm flying solo once again as I bring you another mini-podcast episode version of my Oscar Primer series. In the past two years, I've done my lengthy post regarding the chances and odds each of the nominees have to win their respective categories. But, with the creation of our film-based podcast here on Live in Limbo, I figured I should make use of this platform to discuss the Best Picture nominees. Once a week, I'll still be posting my written primers. In the last one, I discussed Star Wars The Force Awakens, Straight Outta Compton, and Shaun the Sheep movie, a link to which can be found in the show notes. On this episode of ContraZoom, I'll be talking about two of the eight Best Picture nominees, Mad Max Fury Road and The Big Short. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. Reduced to a single instinct. Survive. It is by my hand. You arise from the ashes of this world. Mad Max Fury Road was directed by George Miller and was released on May 15th. The film has 10 nominations, if you can actually believe that. Best Picture, Best Director for George Miller, Best Cinematography for John Seal, Best Achievement in Editing for Margaret Sixel, Best Achievement in Production Design, Colin Gibson and Lisa Thompson, Best Costume Design, Jenny Beaven, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Leslie Vanderwalt, Elka Wardega, and Damian Martin. Best Sound Mixing, Chris Jenkins, Greg Rudloff, Ben Osmo. Best Sound Editing, Mark A. Mangini, and David White. Best Visual Effects, Andrew Jackson, Tom Wood, Dan Oliver, and Andy Williams. So, let's break this down bit by bit. If you would have said last year that, let's say two years ago, that there would be another Mad Max film after, I don't know, 20-odd years since the last one starring Mel Gibson. I think a lot of people would at first be a little surprised and then go, oh, of course, yeah. Hollywood's just going to remake every film because that's what they do. And then you find out, oh, well, George Miller, the original writer and director, is also on board and he's going to be handling all of this. All right, that sounds a little bit interesting. And then you add in the fact that you have Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, two very respected actors. Tom Hardy especially has been, his stock has been rising steadily the last few years. It seems every year he gets put in more and more prestige films and and is constantly blowing away expectations about what a sort of tough guy actor can sort of be doing, showing a lot of nuance and stuff, taking over the role for Mel Gibson himself. Uh, you had a lot of people sort of intrigued and thinking, all right, yeah, you know what? This maybe is a a decent action film in the works. But I don't think anyone was actually prepared for how great this film actually was. And and it's not even an understatement. This movie, you know, I I, read reviews, I'd heard lots of good things, and people were like, all right, yeah, all right, maybe maybe I'll see it eventually. And I watched it. And I really wasn't prepared for just how great it was. And in fact, 
it sort of completely subverted my expectations as well, which was a really interesting thing uh, and actually kind of a, a really enjoyable thing. The movie ended up being quite a feminist film in all the right ways. And a, a big complaint about Hollywood movies, action movies in general, is they tend to over-explain everything. Mad Max did. Not only did they sort of force you to pick up on the slang and the language used right away without explaining what any of it means, is they didn't pander to the audience. A moment happened, we all saw it, but they didn't feel the need to be like, oh wow, did you see that? And sort of provide some exposition background information. The events happen, you either are able to understand what's happening based on what the characters experience, or moves on and you're left to sort of pick up the pieces later which is really refreshing and, and I, I really hope that if they do make another Mad Max movie which they may or may not uh, Tom Hardy is indeed signed on to do a few more um, that they sort of continue this trend as for how it sort of stacks up to to win best picture it's really tough. It sort of came out the gate with a lot of uh, enthusiasm and critics on its side. And I think it was just sort of a, I hate to say it, but the novelty of the idea that a movie like Mad Max is up for best picture. After a while, after sort of the dust settle, it sort of started been falling towards the back. You know, it still maybe has a shot, but it would need like everything to sort of break right for its way. Uh, but it's certainly behind movies like uh, The Revenant, Spotlight, and The Big Short. And depending on how something like The Martian goes, maybe even that too. Um, it's sort of middle of the pack as far as the eight films go. I, frankly, I would not put money on betting that Mad Max Fury Road wins Best Picture. If you are, hey, you might make yourself a tidy bit of money if it ends up upsetting. For best director, though, that's that's also a tough one because George Miller. It's interesting. He 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 came up doing all these um, Mad Max films. He's an Australian director, and then he stopped and sort of completely changed his direction for what he was doing, and ended up becoming mostly um, a family film director. You know, he uh, he did Babe, Pig in the City, The Witches of Eastwick, Happy Feet 1 and 2, which is, is sort of like an odd career change from someone who's made such gritty action films. But, you know, here we are. He's back. He's doing this. And boy, did he ever put his stamp on this film. All over. There are unique touches, flourishes, the way it was shot, the way it was edit it, everything about it, the performances he got out of it, the fact that once again, Max, played by Tom Hardy, uh, is pretty much silent for most of the movie, is pretty phenomenal, and being able to craft such a great story for Charlize Theron, um, for her to play this sort of feminist hero, but you don't really feel like it's beating you over the head, uh, is really something special. I would have to say that with his unique visual imprint he has to be one of the contenders for for, for best director i think uh, right at the front you have uh, last year's winner alejandro gonzalez and yaratu uh for the revenant he won last year as well for birdman um 
could very well win again this year, which would be sort of interesting. I can't remember if there's been two back-to-back director wins. I'm sure there has been. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Along with Adam McKay for the big short, you know, those two seem to be the the big two. And then who knows, maybe uh, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight will come up and, and that will sweep a bunch of awards that people aren't really giving it credit for yet. But, you know, George Miller actually has a pretty strong chance of winning Best Director. If if he wins Best Director, I think that also bumps up the shot for Best Picture as well. But I think he can win Best Director without winning Best Picture as well. That It wouldn't be out of the question. It seems like ever since the Oscars moved to a uh, between five and ten nominees for Best Picture... The it hasn't always correlated between who wins Best Picture and Best Director, uh, which I think is sort of interesting and maybe even reflects a bit more, uh, not necessarily diversity as far as the winners go, but it sort of reflects a bit more. It used to be like, oh yeah, Best Picture, I guess they'll just sweep everything else. Whereas now it's like Best Picture goes, all right, you have crafted the best overall picture as far as story and things like that goes. But Best Director is something, the award is given to the nominee where their distinct visual imprint is all over the the film that if you were to replace the director with someone else the movie with a different director it would feel completely different and the director that wins their vision was the best for it and i think that's something you can definitely say about george miller's direction uh best cinematography john seal i think I think the cinematography in this film is absolutely stunning. You have all of these fantastic chase sequences that are shot so well. You feel great in the action and your heart is pounding the whole time. And then you also have these like great sort of quieter moments like the, the scene at night when the sky is this bright azure blue, almost like a dark blue, and you feel like you're in the middle of an ocean almost. And then, of course, you go like the sandstorms and the way all that is shot. is It just all blends together so perfectly. And, like, you leave the movie feeling dusty and dirty and dingy. But at the same time, you've gone through such a thrill ride that you can't, you can't even believe it. Uh, as far as its chances, you know, The Revenant has uh, two-time winner Emmanuel Lubezki um, nominated yet again, who has to be considered a front-runner. The way he, he did his uh, beautiful nature shots. Mad Max has to be up there as far as a real legit contender. Um, that's sort of one where, you know, if it starts pulling away with awards like cinematography, you can probably bet that it's a real contender to win Best Picture as well. Um, the cinematography is definitely going to be a category to sort of keep an eye on as far as if Revenant or Mad Max wins it. Um, there's some other great cate- uh, nominees in this category, like The Hateful Eight, which I really personally love the cinematography for. Same as Sicario, which was great. Carol's cinematography was a lot more nuanced, but, you know, I just don't think maybe it's this year. But uh, cinematography, I think, all around this year is very strong. Although, really, you can probably say that about every year. There's always at least five really great shot movies. Um, best editing. Best The editing in this film is probably one of the strongest aspects of it. There are 
very long cuts. So, so shots normally, especially in action movies, are very quick. There's a lot of longer cuts where you, the action sort of plays out, but at the same time, when the quick cuts are needed to sort of raise your, your heart rate, they're there. You know, you also have these long sweeping shots, like the great reveal of um, the the flame throwing guitar player uh, playing on this big rig that has a whole bunch of drummers at the back. Because, of course, you know, in this world, you have your own marching band set to metal music, of course, uh, which is a pretty epic thing. And the way that was sort of shot and edited, that you got this big, huge camera swing from a crane that sweeps around and then shows the rest of what's going on. Like The, the combination of the cinematography and the editing, they, they really go hand-in-hand hand for this film. Um, I, I would strongly think that Mad Max is a is a top contender. Uh, the Big Short also has a really unique voice. I'll be talking about that later, as far as its visual style, and I, and that has to be another top contender. Uh, the Revenant is in there. You know, I think the editing is a lot less key to that because they specifically use really long shots for a lot time a lot of the time. Um, long tracking shots and things like that. So that might actually hinder its ability to to win or not. So who knows? Uh, but I would say that Mad Max certainly has a strong chance of, of walking away with that. For production design, it's, it's almost... It's interesting. You talk about production design. Production design deals with sets and what is built and created and, and things like that. Uh, to showcase the world that it's in and it has some great stuff you know the the compound of Immortan Joe the bad guy or the big rigs that Charlize Theron drives there's some some really nice stuff going on with that and then all the cars they all have really unique stuff going on um, but I, I have to wonder if maybe a more traditional set film will walk away with this award. You know, you have something like the Martian, which has this space station and, all, and, and the spaceships where they're traveling on. Um, and they're, they're stationary. You sort of get to explore them a bit more. Whereas with Mad Max, the cars, they're always racing by. So it's a little bit harder to really appreciate the finer detail of some of the things that they went all into this. Not to deny that the detail was not there because they sort of, you know, were taking cars apart and then mixing them together and adding this real steampunk element to it, which was really great. Uh, it, it's, it's a strong contender, but I think the Martian is probably the one to beat in this. Maybe the Revenant, if it starts sweeping some other things, but yeah, it would probably come down to the Martian Mad Max and depending on how the Revenant does. Moving on to costume design. There's some great costumes in this film. Um, from Max's sort of almost Bane-like grill that he has going on. Um, to a Morton Joe who's got this sort of like see-through plastic chest plate that makes it look like he's this big buff warrior instead of an old fat dying man. Uh, with all of his... Uh, fake war medals pinned on to it and then you also have all the brides who are in these magnificent white uh, 
linen dresses. They're all sort of different with their look. All, all five, I believe, of them young young brides. And then you have um, Imperia Furiosa, who is Charlize Theron, who who also has some, a pretty unique look to her. Everyone really, you, you can't fault it. There, there's a whole lot of you know metal and scrap parts that are being used to construct these costumes. There's a butcher that has like a leather apron sort of deal that's going on, where it's really great. Uh, oh, I even didn't even mention it. Morton Joe has like this face mask that has like bearing teeth on it. There's like hoses to help him breathe. He's probably more like Bane than Tom Hardy, even though he sort of has that face grill on him himself. Um, so Mad Max costumes and lots of them. It's, it's all, it's a little hard to tell with the Academy. They really like period pieces. So stuff like Carol, the Danish girl and Cinderella all sort of have, um, that traditional period piece love. Um, Carol's costumes were done by a, a very well-known designer, Sandy Powell. She actually has two nominations this year for Carol and for Cinderella. Um, Carol, I think, has that sort of like beautiful elegance where each each costume, each dress has a very specific part for the scenes that are going on, along with being period appropriate. So I think that's sort of the the most likely one to win from that. But Mad Max certainly has some interesting stuff going on. You know, every time I'm talking about Mad Max, I can't not mention the Revenant that, you know, sort of utilizes that same sort of found, uh, necessity to the costumes, but in a very different way. Whereas the Revenant is about furs and leathers and things like that, all about keeping warm, which is, is sort of similar where if, if, if you can hunt it, you're going to use every part of it, including making yourself some clothes. Um, and then we have makeup and hairstyling. There's only three nominees to this category, which is sort of interesting. Uh, you never know really how many are going to pop up for this. They've, they've combined makeup and hairstyling now. Um, there's some great stuff. Charlize Theron has uh, some great warrior-like makeup to her. And then, of course, all the brides that call her beautiful while they're still, you know... Um, sand splash to say the least um a bunch of the the bad guys i can't remember the the, the name of what they are um all have like tattoos and, and different markings and things like that and they get uh blasted in their face with this chrome spray that's sort of a, a drug to give this them this adrenaline rush that makes them think that uh if they get chromed they can get into valhalla um and then, of course, there's Immortan Joe, who, with his long white hair and then his uh, dead-like eyes and things like that. And then you also have a bunch of the the guys who are in um, – who are, like, caked in this white powder. I don't know if it's, like, delousing powder or something like that, but it's certainly something interesting. Um, it's definitely the strongest chance. It's got a real unique – visual look as far as the makeup and hairstyling goes and, and i have to think it's gonna win the revenant also in this category uh the other one being the hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared is not one i haven't seen yet it doesn't seem like it has a lot of traction right now um but i can't really comment on it much further um back to the revenant 
it's there. You know, it's one of those things where maybe you'll start sweeping a bunch of things. This might be an ancillary, ancillary one that it picks up on top of that. So who knows? Now we sort of got the dual category of sound mixing and sound editing. While they are two separate things, you can't help but look at them sort of together. Uh, as often as I have often noted, you need both nominations in order to even win one of them. Now, they don't always award them to the same films, but you at least need one in both categories to be considered a frontrunner. Four of the films double up that way, so including Mad Max, so they stand a strong chance to, to win it. The only two that are separate is Sicario for sound editing and Bridge of Spies for sound mixing. Now, it seems really strong... Mad Max is going to sweep a lot of the technical categories, and so there it is. I would, I would, I would say they stand a really good chance, but like I'm, I feel like I'm a broken clock, just cuckooing, cuckooing all over again. The Revenant might do that as well, and then of course you have Star Wars and The Martian, both of which uh, have really unique sound going on as well. Could come from behind and steal something, especially if Star Wars starts sweeping a bunch of the technical categories. Then you have Best Visual Effects as the last one. I think this, along with films like Star Wars, really were pushing the idea of doing more practical effects in their films. Um, you know, you have things like the flame-shooting guitarist, perched on top of a speeding truck or these guys um, going up on these long poles that are bending over to attack the rig. Uh, if you've even seen the trailer, you'll know what I'm referring to for that or all the sort of stuff that's going on. Um, that was all actually done. Those are practical effects. A lot of the explosions and car flips and things like that were actually done, which is always impressive to see. And it really sort of added to the realness. Uh, and then you also have something like the big sandstorm that happened, where that was a great visual effect where, you know, you have all the, the cars, trucks getting lost in the sand and they're fighting their way through. And as the viewer, you can't see any more than they can. And you're just hoping that Max and Furiosa can get out alive. Um, is a really strong chance to, to win it. I think maybe Star Wars a film with also the practical effects, as I mentioned, stands a pretty good shot to win this. You know, it's hard to go wrong with Star Wars. I really love Ex Machina with the, the robots that they had. I don't know if that will win, uh, but it's there. Uh, I, I'd say that's beyond being an underdog. The Martian, The Revenant, either of those could maybe come through, but it, it seems to be a, a two-horse race between Star Wars and Mad Max. All right, when we come back, we're going to go on to the next Best Picture winner. Michael, how are you? I found something really interesting. The whole housing market is propped up on these bad loans. They will fail. The housing market is rock solid. It's a time bomb. So Mike Burry, who gets his hair cut at Supercuts and doesn't wear shoes, knows more than Alan Greenspan. Dr. Mike Burry, yes, he does. <laughs> You know what? I'm pissed off. American people are getting screwed by the big banks. And I am getting madder and madder. It's unbelievable. 
Then this guy walks into my office and says, There's some shady stuff going down. All right. And then for the last film I'm going to talk about today is going to be The Big Short, which was directed by Adam McKay and released on December 23rd. The film has five nominations, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Christian Bale, Best Director, Adam McKay, Best uh, Adapted Screenplay for Charles Randolph and Adam McKay, and Best Editing, Hank Corwin. The Big Short is really an interesting one. I went in pretty excited. I like uh, Michael Lewis, the author of that. He also wrote uh, Moneyball and The Blind Side. Um, two, I've read both of those books, and those books are fantastic, and I really love them. I have not read The Big Short yet, but I, I enjoy the movie adaptations of both. Blind Side was okay, uh, and Moneyball is one of my favorite films. So I was pretty excited about this, especially with the cast that was assembled. The only real head-scratcher was Adam McKay, who's most known for movies like Anchorman 1 and 2, um, Talladega Nights, and other Will Ferrell comedies. How he'd be able to handle a mostly serious film about the collapse of the housing market bubble that caused the 2008 financial crisis. And sure enough, he knocked it out of the park, which was really great to see. I think just about everything about it was immensely entertaining while still being really informative as far as uh, explaining how the the financial crisis occurred and how these guys who were betting against the housing market uh managed to make a tidy sum of money and it's it's really interesting because about three quarters of the way through the film you realize you're rooting for these guys to succeed but in order for them to succeed the world has to collapse literally as you can this is real life and you know countries like the u.s where unemployment skyrocketed and greece had to be bailed out by the european union several times over and other countries like that where they were just in absolute shambles and so many people were affected by this it was a terrible thing but you couldn't help but root these guys on to sort of beat the system that was so arrogant and full of itself and i don't know if if that's sort of a good thing or bad thing I'll, i'll sort of let you decide when you watch it if you have not already seen it as far as its chances go when the nominations came out i don't i wasn't personally thinking even with its good reviews that it would stand a chance and here we are as the season is progressing and the big short actually seems a pretty good shot of winning you know it seems like it's going to be most likely spotlight or the big short with a, a real underdog sort of status for a movie like the revenant um and maybe mad max but um as i mentioned in the last segment but yeah spotlight or the big short at this point i i wouldn't if i was submitting an oscar ballot i don't know which one of those i would pick i would probably have to flip a coin because i think it could be either one of them um and then of course the director Adam McKay, who I mentioned is mostly known for comedies, is it's absolutely shocking to see his name up here. I never in a million years would have thought that Adam McKay would be a best director nominee, let alone a bit of a contender. Um, if it wins best picture, it could very well also start winning some other things, including Adam McKay for best director. 
George Miller and Alejandro Gonzalez and Yaratu are, are the two front runners, but he's sort of like the real, like an, a legitimate underdog dark horse type character nominee. He managed, Adam McKay managed to implement a very unique vision that you cannot deny is is him you know the 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 way it was shot with the frantic editing the the sort of um interesting intercuts using celebrities like margot robbie in a bathtub explaining what financial terms mean or um selena gomez playing poker which was you know both of them are pretty fascinating ways to sort of explain very complex while also mundane information in a new and exciting way and he he managed to get these great performances and and sort of weave this very complicated story there's a lot of characters in this film and they all play very integral integral parts and you don't feel like you're really short served with any of them so wow i i I, I've liked Adam McKay's movie in the past, but you know, I'm I'm a fan, and I'm really excited to see what he does next. And I hope he does another sort of uh, dramedy type film like this, where it's a pretty pretty heavy comedy, but with some really serious undertones to it. As far as best supporting actor, you have Christian Bale. You know, he's won an Oscar before for The Fighter, even though he's been nominated in probably more worthwhile films. He's someone who you can never really truly discount. Um, frankly, the supporting actor category is a, a five-sided roll of the dice, and no matter what, you're probably going to be likely. Sylvester Stallone won the Golden Globe and shockingly is still in this race. I still haven't seen Creed yet, so I'm not going to bash it too much. Um, I know it did get really strong reviews, but I'm surprised that Stallone more so rather than Michael B. Jordan got the nomination for this film. Mark Ruffalo, I I think is, is probably the real, the real contender in my eyes. Um, he gave a great performance in spotlight. Then you have Tom Hardy in the Revenant and Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies who I wouldn't be surprised if either of those guys sort of come away with it. Christian Bale, uh, I'm debating on what to say about this. Does he stand a chance? Yes. Would I pick him? Um, Probably not, but he was fantastic in this, as Christian Bale is, of course. As I mentioned before, the screenplay, this is based on uh, a book, a book by Michael Lewis, and it it was co-adapted by Adam McKay, the director, and, and they sort of really capture this great intensity of what everyone is doing. Everyone is very serious, and everyone you know, is the smartest guy in the room. And to sort of see that played off, all these egos bounce off each other, and you know, when, when people need to take take the hit and, and move to the back of the scene. It's just, it's the right time and the right moment. There's this Steve Carell, who frankly, I think should be, should have been nominated maybe even over Christian Bale. I think it was Carell's career turning performance, even better than Foxcatcher last year. Um, has this great scene where he still can't believe 
what he's hearing is real about how this impending doom is happening. And there's this great little scene of him in a restaurant where Ryan Gosling sets up this meeting between him and this guy that works at a bank to sort of, the guy is basically going to brag about all the stuff that's going wrong while not realizing what he's saying is wrong. And all of this are, are supposed to be confirmations to, to Steve Carell's character and, and the way this, this scene sort of plays out where the disbelief of that someone could say such things, it just works so great. And then you have some really funny scenes of like when um, Steve Carell and some of his team go to visit Florida and they go talk to strippers and they realize that this stripper that Carell is talking to owns like three homes or something like that. And all of her mortgages are going to blow up in her face. It's just like a hilarious sort of, dialogue between the two of them um in this category the screenplays are either usually given in accordance to the best picture or as a consolation prize its contenders are the martian room brooklyn and carol um three of which are nominated for best picture they don't really stand a chance to win best picture and they don't really seem like a consolation prize either uh and, and carol is even up for best picture you have to go big short. I would I would bet money like they bet on the housing collapse on this category. This is probably the most likely one. The, the, probably a handful of categories where I can safely say that this is going to be the winner. And then lastly, you have best editing. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about the picture. There's this great frantic energy to it with lots of cuts. And then you also have some some really interesting shot selection as well. I know that's a little bit more cinematography, but the way it was used to edit when you're focusing on, on different things that aren't necessarily supposed to be the main focus, there, there's, a, there's a real life force to it uh, that I think helps derive a lot of the fun and enjoyment that the movie has is based on the editing, whether it's, you know, watching Steve Carell prowl across the streets of New York, barging into uh, therapy sessions. Um, and you're, you're shown the disgust in his fellow patients faces. And yet, you know, you're listening to Steve Carell rant and rave about wall street and things like that. It was, it was done in a very clever way. Um, they, there's a lot of quick, rapid cuts. It's almost shot a bit like a music video at times where it's so fast and your your attention is sort of all over the place and you're showing all these little clips. And from there, you're, you're building the story inside of your head. Um, it, it does a great job with that. Mad Max is, is probably the front runner for this. And then you also have uh, The Revenant if it starts sweeping things, as I mentioned last time. Um, but I, I'd say the big short is probably, uh, one of the leaders. A lot of the times the best picture winner also gets best editing. So look for that to sort of go hand in hand where if, if it wins best editing, that might be one of the early precursors for it to win best picture and possibly best director as well. So that concludes the second Oscar primer podcast. Uh, we're going to have another episode next week and be discussing the next two Best Picture nominees, The Revenant and Brooklyn. Uh, make sure you go to liveandlimbo.com for the show notes and to see all of our great Oscar-related comment. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, every week on Mondays I have my written Oscar primers. 
Uh, and then make sure you follow us on Twitter at ContraZoomPod and myself at DGAPA. Uh, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Please rate and review us if you can. That would be really helpful. Uh, it really helps our numbers. It helps us grow and introduce more people to us. So thank you so much for listening.